This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. You develop the confidence to play with an idea and not just to act on the first solution that comes into your head. You know, just like, just sleep on an idea or just, all right, let's just let's kind of see how this plays out. And, and, and I think that's, been, that's, that's served me really well. This is The Luminaries. On the Deep in the Weeds podcast, I'm Anthony Huckstep. There have been some that have made a major impact at the pointy end of dining and others that have been a part of a huge change in the way we eat every day in cafes too. A rare few have made a significant impact on both the top end and the middle market. But the pandemic put everyone's business in jeopardy, no matter how many years in the game how well-known or how successful. What lessons have been learnt from those that have known a lot of success in their careers? Darren Robertson is a co-owner of the Three Blue Ducks and Rocker in Bondi. Darren, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Nice to hear your voice again. It's nice to hear your voice. Uh, lots, lots of things going on in your world. It's been a very turbulent world for a year and a half, but... You've made a really big decision to let go of the original three blue ducks. Correct. Yeah. So that's um, that's just sort of unfolding now, actually. So it's been definitely it's been a conversation uh, between us and the guys for quite some time, and I think I think obviously COVID probably solidified the decision, but but also we have act around that space, and so yeah, so it's it's quite surreal now seeing it. I mean, seeing it in print and it's like, there's this sort of finality about it. And, um, and it's just sort of, it's kind of hits you because it is, it's obviously a very, very important place for us that, it, you know, that was the OG and that was, that started the whole thing. But even just talking to Marky the other night, he was kind of just reminiscing about all of the, you know, like the good old days when life was so much simpler and it was just about, it was just about cooking. It was, you know, you just, there was sort of three or four of us in the kitchen You'd order your produce. <laughs> you'd have a mise en place list. You'd cook. It was this awesome community. You know, you'd go home, come in, and start again. And we just, and we, we, I loved every minute of being there. Like we just, we just loved it. It was, a, it was fantastic. And it was just kind of like, yeah, it was quite surreal. We just, it was, it, we kind of snowballed. Like it was right place, right time. The whole kind of grow it local. We were growing stuff, chickens, bees. You know, this kind of kitchen garden thing. Um, you know, and really legit being in, in you know, interest, interested in like produce and how to grow it. And we we're sort of giving it a bit of a crack ourselves. And it just, it just went crazy. We'd like, you know, we got the hat, we're on MasterChef, then we're doing like, you know, Omnivore Paris. And then we're just, you know, there's like celebs and other chefs hanging out there and just like, holy shit, with this little crummy little restaurant in Bronte. <laughs> like, it was just, honestly, it was, it was nuts. And it was just, um, but it gave us so much confidence. So, and it was just like, holy shit, if we can do this, we can do anything. And, and, and that was it. And they were like, let's do a farm. Let's do this. Let's open a place in is wherever, you know, it's just, uh, so yeah, man. So that's, um, so yeah, look, we've, we've decided to sell it and um, pass the baton on really. It was just like pass the baton on to hopefully, you know, some young guns like we once were, they're just passionate. I want to, I want to do some cool stuff in the space. Cause it is, it's, it's a, a beautiful little community in, in Bronte. 
and it's just not even really you know it's not about making a coin or whatever it's just like just continue continuing the legacy uh, i suppose and ideally it'd be great if some staff were to take it on or you know friends of friends or whatever but we'll, we'll see what happens to it but um yeah man 11 years how are you feeling about it uh i feel a bit i, I feel like I feel like I want to give it a bit of a send off, to be honest. I mean, we, we, we sort of did a post the other night. We just chose, we chose not to like, you know, go to press. We just thought it was just a funny one. But like, let's just let us let first of all let our staff know. Just try and do it properly, and then you know, um, uh, and then we just we posted something, but on our own socials and sort of did it that way on our, our sort of website, and to create this kind of sale. It was talk about like an auction, but we just, yeah, we've just, we've got like a link to our website. So, you, you know, you put your expressions of interest on there and, and we sort of go, we're going down that road. road. And, uh, and that, and, and that was it. But I just, I don't know, it would be nice because we, we had this sort of like outpour of like old customers and staff members. And, and uh, so I feel like we should probably do a bit of a send off, maybe at Rosebury. I, th- I, th- I think that would be like a bit of a, I don't know, just like a bit of a, a closing party or something. But, yeah, it's it's definitely it's final. The decision's made, and I think it's probably the right decision. If I'm honest, you know, we've we've definitely got a lot of stuff, other stuff happening, um, and we've got this amazing. You know, we're just about to open or expand in Rosebury, and so we've got this amazing sort of talent pool of staff that are in Bronte. That are sort, I think they're kind of you know sort of waiting to expand and sort of grow with us and evolve and. Uh, and it, it, you know, it is quite constricting logistically in, you know, in Bronte, like it's, 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 it's pretty small and we, we've tried it, you know, we've renovated and we've done every sort of change and cosmetic change and, and spent heaps on the sort of garden and whatever. But I mean, there's only so much you can do in that space. Whereas Rosebury is this like, you know, we've, we've taken on more space now. And so we're, it's a bit more of a blank canvas. So we're going to take like the out Bronte staff over and sort of, hopefully create sort of like the Avengers <laughs> and just this like absolute weapons, like front and back of house. So it will be like, it, that. that's pretty exciting as well. So it's not like, it's not like we're shutting up shop and there's no more ducks. Like it's just, you know, it's an end of that chapter and then sort of, you know, one door closes and, and, and hopefully several more will open. But um, yeah, you know, it's always a bit sad to shut anything, I suppose, you know. Well, the Bronte ducks had incredible impact um, not just on uh, consumers and, and people who love good food, but it had a major impact on the development and what you guys have done since. Do you, do you have any fond memories of uh, the experiences in the early days at Bronte? Mate, the whole, I mean, it, so it started really, like, so obviously Marky, Sam and Chris opened the doors. They had a little breakfast joint and it, and, and from the word go, like he, they got best breakfast in Sydney you know, it was really hit the ground running. And then I, I was doing pop-ups after Tets and I did a little, I was doing this thing called the table sessions. It was like dinners in interesting spaces. So I spoke to Mark and we, we, we turned it into like a sort of fine dining sort of Dego space for one night. And it was like menu printed on organic cotton and we've just, I think it was seven or eight dishes and it went so well. And we just were, you know, we had loud music and it was sort of interesting progressive food, not specifically fine dining in terms of white tablecloths, but definitely like it was, it was it was a really good menu, and it just it went so well. And to be honest, from then he, he just sort of said, "Well, do you want to do you want to come and hang out a bit more?" And that, I think that was the conversation. And then um, I remember sitting around, and there was three of them. Jeff just come up at the time, and I sat down, 
and I'm like the worst negotiator ever. Well, I was back then. <laughs> and I, uh, I, 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 put, I paid in some money, which is like peanuts. And then I was like the, then became like the fifth duck, but it was, it was just brilliant. I just, it, it was just nice that other chefs would come and hang, you know, like I remember Lukey Powell come and he'd come and do a stint, stint Michael Clift, uh, you know, Big Mike, Jem came and hung out. It was just, it was just like, it was a bit of a chef hang, which was really, it was amazing for us. Obviously, Shannon Debrosini. Um, and just people would come and stop in. Like Ben Greener would come in on his days off. And I mean, you know, I mean, just for, for us, that was like meant so much um, to have that sort of space that was on the sort of, you know, just this little place on McPherson Street. But just, I think for any chef, when other chefs come in, it's like the ultimate compliment. And yeah, we had... I think when y- Yanni came in, and David Thompson in particular, um, was because that was the last meal I had in London. I went to Nam and I ate a David Thompson's food, and I was just it just blew me away. I've never eaten Thai food before, and um, and it was crazy. And it was just like he really made headlines. It was just like this guy's just putting like fried shallots on desserts, and you know, it was just. <laughs> and I remember, I remember chatting to him. I was like, "Mate, you just you just blew me away." I was just like so so like foreign to me. He's like, mate, he's called my food foreign. He goes, like, what about this? Look at the crazy shit you're doing. But he said it in like a really complimentary way, and it was just like, oh my god, like. But I just felt, I, I, I think we all felt like we were we were on, you know, a, a, a right, the right path anyway. And we, when we're so we are so aligned as as business partners, and 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 even now, like, I'm just so honestly, this, this sounds so namby pamby and Byron, but I am so grateful that after 11 years of of hospo, which is you know that is like dog years. I still love my business partners to bits. I, 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 you know, it is like a marriage and we've had many biffos, especially Mark and I, we're both passionate people, but I love him. I love him like a brother. And I just like, I, I wouldn't change a thing. And it's just been, um, it's, it's all spawned from that space, from that tiny little cafe. Um, yeah. Well, I want to explore the expansion of, of the ducks and what you have created, but you came from the fine dining world and changed so dramatically as a chef. Take us back to, to when you first started. What, what was it like in the commercial kitchen for you when you first got your career off the ground? Horrible. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was a little bit unlucky because I, I was washing up as most people, you know, most kids do washing up in a restaurant and uh i, I, I decided to, i think i yeah, the story goes sort of red wet white heat that was you know I, the, one of the chefs let me white heat i read it and decided i was going to be a chef which was quite common for my my generations of cooks like it was a very influential book so i uh, I, I gave up art and design and then thought if i can learn to cook then that's that's independence and i can definitely get a job anywhere and but the the head chef at the time was you know wasn't the most savory of characters and it was pretty old school that was it was many years ago when it was probably accepted for you know a bit of billy in the kitchen and but it was horrible i remember often going home and i'd I'd just cry i would just you know you you know you're just a kid and you just come out of school and you don't really know any better and um yeah that was pretty grim but then i qualified and i was out of there like pretty much the day day after (laughs) And then after that, I was just so lucky. I was so lucky. I just worked with the most amazing people. And uh, and the big one was, yeah, this guy, Mark Raffan. It was a Michelin-star restaurant um, it, called uh, Gravetime Manor. And he, it, that just changed my life. It changed how I thought about food. It just, then it became like a life, a lifestyle. Like it was just like, it was live on, live in accommodation. Um, Marcus Waring has just, just left to go up to work with Gordon. And I took over for Marcus. Uh, I moved, I moved into his caravan 
there's a big hole in the floor. In the middle of the caravan, there's a big hole. <laughs> and like, you see, like, the grass going through it. It was pretty nuts. But um, uh, so I just came on. There's just the chef to party. And it was just everything. Like, there was um, six full-time gardeners. Um, you know, we'd get, like, you know, venison, rabbits in, pheasants. Uh, and everything was coming in on the fur and on the feather. Like, it was just, you know, it was, it was pretty legit. There was this old baker downstairs called Bernie. He was probably about 60, 65 old like german dude he's really grumpy but i i lovely lovely guy and uh, he'd just make the croissants and pastries and you know there was a you go and smoke the fish and there was a big sort of huge smoker outside it was it was just a beautiful place and you, i just learned so much about food but also the chef was an absolute gentleman and like if you just you were just there to learn you like he, it was just for me it was just like university it was just you know and you i i, I it was long hours it was, it was you just always trying stuff, and then there was I mean Sarah is this amazing pastry chef, and I'd just I'd get off my section and I'd go and help her and try and and that's that's just how it was. Do you know what I mean? It was sort of before fair work and all that sort of stuff. But it was absolutely you know it was by my, it was by choice. Like we were there just because we knew that it was like we just felt, I was getting quite ambitious. Then I was like, well, I just want to know. And the more you learn about something, the more it opens up this vast, interesting world. It's like this is amazing. And um, and he was, the, you know, the guy that owned it was a guy called Peter Herbert, this guy in his 80s, and he was the guy that got me the job for Tets and, you know, said to me, look, if you do two years here, yeah, do two years here, I'll get you a job anywhere in the, in the world. And after three, I stayed there for three and a half, and at the, the time, French Laundry was number one. Um, so it's like, go and work for Thomas Keller or um, Tetsuya's. Like, we had a few, t- um, his son, Lee Stone Herbert, um, worked with I think he just done the opening for Kent Street. So basically, this guy just made a phone call and said, "Look, I've got this guy Daz that wants to come out." And I, mate, I was out within within a month. I packed up my life. Yeah, yeah. I think I had two grand. I think you had to have a prerequisite. I think it was like you had to have two thousand pounds of dollars in your account to come over, which I spent in about two months. And um, yeah, that was it. I'd like literally like a little backpack. <laughs> <laughs> what were you, what were your thoughts of Australia when you landed here? I was just so green, and I, I just didn't know. Actually, I knew one's pastry chef. I knew this girl Susie, who was a pastry chef in um, uh, a Gravesite. So I, I had one person I knew, and I, I just remember rocking up to the interview at Kent Street, and I remember Vicky Wilde was there, and she said, "I, I got there a bit early, and I was so nervous." And she uh, she said, look, oh, look, Tets isn't around at the moment. He's going to be about an hour late. But in the meantime, if you just want to read all this stuff, I've got some, like, magazine articles and stuff. And he basically gave me this folder, and it was all these clippings and articles of uh, basically every time Tets had been mentioned, accolades, restaurant of the year, three hats. like. Ev- and I went next door to the pub, and I had a beer, and I was just reading this stuff. And I was like, shush, then even more nervous. And I remember I met him in the bar. And he was just lovely. He gave me a hug, sat me down. And I remember I was so nervous, like the room was spinning. Like It was just, I was like, hold it together, Daz. And um, that was it. And he was just really cool. And he was just, he just said, look, you know, just come and have, come and have an, um, a trial. And if you like it, we'll talk about sponsorship. And, you know, we, we, you might not like us. We might. And it was just such a lovely approach that if I liked it. And um, then that was it. And then, you, I, you know, got in the kitchen at the time. It was Marlene Ben was the head chef and David Pegram. And there was a, definitely a lot of ties with London. And I think that always helps. And it, and it's just, in your kitchen, it's, hospital is a tiny world. You know, there's always, you know, you'll always know someone that knows someone. So I, I definitely think that made it easier, knowing these, having these sort of ties from the UK. But um, 
it was amazing. I mean, it's just it's well publicated, like who was in that kitchen at the time. But it was it was nuts. That was legit. You know, Avengers, Dan Puskas, Dan Hong, Pepper, all Luke Powell, Shazza. It was just you look around. It's like Louis Tikaram, Jow at you. Yeah, Christ. It was just it was nuts. I, I wish. You know, I wish I'd taken more photos and, you know, like just those, those days, just like, wow, that was, that was incredible. But, um, start, started at the bottom again, you know, just learning about seaweeds and myriads and soys and stuff I'd never used. For me, it was just like finishing a sauce was just, it was always finished with butter. You know, you just, okay, then you monte it, you know, with some butter and that was it. Whereas Tets was all about freshness and acid levels and lime and, you know, yuzu. And I was like, oh, this is just, it, it, it that just, blew the doors off for me like that just uh, just another approach to food which uh, which again i'm forever grateful for you ended up rising the ranks and becoming head chef of tetsu is one of the most celebrated restaurants not only in australia but in the world well, tell us tell us about that time do you have any stories of really key moments for you <laughs> i do i mean to be honest yeah it, it, that was um incredible it was very 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 consuming i hadn't it you sort of don't back then it was just it was probably the best place in australia i'd say arguably the, one of the best kitchens in australia and um you know pretty firm like it just it was just everything had to be sort of you know pretty much as perfect as it could be um there are lots and lots of pressure i mean you, you just pressure that you put on yourself really and um but it was it was amazing and got so much out you know and i traveled the world with tets we did so many incredible we did some of the highlights were like Tokyo Taste, which was great. Just being up on stage with Tets in front of, you know, like the Who's Who, Hervé Tees, Fran Adria in the crowds. And we went, to, we were in Chicago. We did the Charlie Trotter's 20th anniversary dinner. So we cooked alongside Heston, again, Fran, Thomas Keller, um, Pierre Hermé. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was unbelievable. And we were there um, for a couple of days <clears throat> prepping in, in, in Charlie's kitchen. And then we went to his house party. And um, it was me and Michael Clift, actually. And we sort of got there, you know, two idiots from Australia. And uh, there was like, um, Harold McGee was in there. And I was like, oh my God, Harold, I just read his book, you know, like the science of food and cooking. And then Wiley Dufresne was doing, behind his bar in his house, doing canapes. It was just like, you're literally Charlie, you know, that sort of Willy Wonka's factory. It was, it was unbelievable. Uh, and then we just, and just everyone's interesting. You're just talking to chefs and restaurateurs and it's people from all around the world for Charlie Trial. That was, that was, um, particularly surreal. Uh, and then just, you know, just going out with the chefs after like all, even like the, the gods of our industry. <clears throat> and I remember we had this lock-in, you know, there's a couple of, you know, really famous chefs like dancing on the bar doing, you know, free pours of tequila and stuff that you probably wouldn't get away with now. But it was just, you know, like you just worked so hard, you played hard and, you know, there was just, it was just definitely this sort of camaraderie that was, um, it was, it was, yeah, it was beautiful. But um, yeah, I, I, I've so many fond memories of, of, of the Tets days and, 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 you know, and friendships that formed back then. I still, like, I still chat to those guys now. Like I spoke to, I spoke to Lou Powell two days ago. I speak to Shaz, you know, sort of most weeks. I need to speak out, reach out to Hongi actually. I haven't been to him for a while, but yeah, and it's just you know, sort of you know always keep tabs on. You know, I'm always fascinated and 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 sort of and just and care and worry about you know like the the the, the chefs that you've worked with over the years. You know, you want everyone to do well. It's almost like there's not. 
I never felt like there was any competition between us. It's like when the, when the, you know, when the tide rises, we, we all benefit. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like whether it's sharing ideas or having a bit of success. And I, and I, and I, and I really felt that with, it's not like, yeah, I just feel, feel very like in the Sydney, certainly the Sydney food scene, but definitely Australia, like very, very safe and like, you know, just like, like people have got your back. And I, I think it's really important because it's a bloody tough industry. This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, helping managers and staff do their best work. Hospitality is all about the connection. A business starts with passion, but gets bogged down with all the complexities that come with life, society, and rules. If you can simplify this mundane, then people can be happy and they can thrive. And when you have happy staff members and happy managers, your customers will sense it. They'll be happy. And you create that connection. That connection is hospitality is about. For more information, go to deputy.com. When you left Tetsu, you started your journey to take your cooking in a very different direction. What triggered that? I didn't know what I was going to do. I really didn't. And I was a bit, I, I knew I wanted to leave Tets just because I wanted to challenge myself again. And not that it wasn't a challenge, but I, I, you know, I thought eight years, that, that, that's enough. And uh, just, I, you know, one day I wanted to do my own thing. I thought it's, the longer I leave it now, you're almost going to be typecast. You'll always be that guy from Tetsuya's and everything you do will be a derivative of a Tetsuya dish because they're so famous. So it will always be, oh, that's from the, that's like a version of the ocean trout or that's, you do, do you know what I mean? So I just, um, I decided to sort of, I traveled a bit. I went to Europe and sort of spent most of my uh, savings. <laughs> I went to New York. I went with, with Morgan and, and uh, Mitch, Mitch or went to Omnivore New York and, and just went to a lot of, what lot of dinners and collaborations. And it was, the, the term pop-up wasn't, it was quite new at the time. I think there was, I forgot his name now, but I think it was a guy in Bronte doing it. Um, I, forgot, oh, there was an old, I think his name was Hugh, an older chap. I, if you listen, I'm sorry about. It. But and, and and there was a there was a, a, a older um, lady doing it in Hong Kong. Like there weren't that many people in a in a flat, and I just read about this term. It's like pop up, and the, you know, just doing, just having no rules and not the pressure of being reviewed and just doing food er, any way you want. So I started doing that. You know, do this thing called table sessions. So I was doing, you know, the dinners in art galleries and shops and little cafes, and then we obviously started toys. So Morgie. Mel at the time, uh, they sort of formed this little toys, which taste of young Sydney and joined those guys. So that was Dan Hong, Mitch Hoare, Zumbo, myself, Morgs. And, you know, we're doing these little pop-up dinners and it just, it was just cooking became really fun again. It was more, you know, and it was using like music as an influence and, you know, knockoffs and the conversations and jokes and pop culture, uh, 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 you know, to, to inspire your cooking as well as just, just produce. And, um, and so I just started doing that. And then, and then literally it was just, it was just, you know, I'd farm, I was running a stall at farmer's markets. I was definitely learning a bit more about produce. I was becoming more interested with the farmers and, and people behind the food. So I, I actually had a stall at um, Piermont and I had a stall at um, Bondi every Saturday. So Piermont was the first Saturday of every month. So I basically, I was like going to the farms, I'd source some produce, take it to my kitchen, probably highly illegal, take it back to my kitchenette, 
and then serve it on the Saturday. So, and that's sort of how I made a living. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was doing stuff kind of like that. And then, and then, yeah, then just bumped into the, the, the I'd always checking in on Mark because he was just, he was over doing this little cafe, the Ducks. So I'd always go in and just have a look. And, and, um, and then, and then we thought, okay, at the time, cafe was sort of frowned upon so you are either a restaurant chef or you're a cafe or hotel or whatever and i just love the idea of just doing something completely different and just going to work in a cafe with definitely with a restaurant we're doing some cool food at night but having the food served during the day as interesting and as uh legit with regards to where it's from technique you know um yeah so it's, it's like you just you shouldn't have to wait till dinner to have something really, you know, interesting, progressive and tasty. Uh, and, that, and that was sort of our mission, you know. And, and I think it was the style of Mark's food and mine was so completely different back then. Like his was in the greatest of respects. It was a bit rough. It was, it was like big, bold, you know, like very, very tasty. And mine was a bit more, probably a bit more elegant and maybe, I think probably complicated to be honest, but definitely, you know, it was a bit, there was maybe more to a bit more sort of fine dining-esque. And I think when they when we combine the two, we just came up with this. I mean, it's, I suppose it's like this duck style, which is which still which is still was like the blood that runs through the restaurants now. Like, has to be sort of ducksy. Like, it's got to be delicious, obviously nutritious. It's kind of got to be fun. Like, you want to kind of lick the plate clean, but it doesn't need to be perfect. Like, embrace the imperfections. It's all that all that sort of stuff. But every component needs to be, whether it's. You know, you, if, if it is an avocado or an egg, like make sure that egg's like perfectly seasoned before it goes on the plate. Like just little things, like you know what I mean. Like the, um, and so that and, and that sort of, and I I think that was the sort of one of the secrets to the success was just that that sort of the the, the food style that just was created purely by chance, purely just you know over a bit of sort of friendship and one too many beers. You have so many venues now in in um, so many places, and they're all quite different as well. In Melbourne, Brisbane, Byron, Nimbo, um, t- t- tell us about the growth of the group from the one site, and and how the decisions were made with all of the um, the owners. Well, they're all to be honest, but lots and lots of opportunities. When, when you know, we we got a bit of success with with the first one, and then lots of opportunities came our way, and we were kind of like. Yeah, kids in the candy store really. So, oh, it's so exciting going open here. We can go and open Japan and New York and whatever. And we were sort of chasing, chasing rabbits, if I'm honest. You sort of waste so much time going to every single sort of, you know, vacant space. But then you start learning a lot, start learning a lot about real estate and leases and all that sort of jazz. But we did the, the golden rule for us: was it had to be had to tick more than just the financial box. It had to be fun, and it had, it had to be a reason for it. So we we got offered this space in in the snow. It was like a pop up in Falls Creek. So we did that, and then we did like a place next door. We did like a pop up in a hotel. We had like a street food bar, restaurant where we'd, it'd be you know tacos and hot dogs. But we're making the tortillas from scratch. Everything was made from scratch. It was we'd snowboard all day, and then come and cook at night. And so then we're like, and then that gave us a bit more confidence. And then the chat about having our own plot of land or doing something like growing some stuff or having a farm. That was the conversation. And then the farm opportunity came up. We thought, well. Byron's pretty fun. We all surf. It's, t- it's five minutes away from a beach and we can actually learn about, you know, soil and, you know, probably take the whole sustainability a bit uh, further, you know, designing a kitchen and a bar from the ground up. So that sort of allowed us to do that. 
Um, and then, yes, yeah, so it was Brisbane, Nimbo. Nimbo was great. I think I think it was, good, it was a really good hunting ground for, for Marky, and it, and it's on the way to on the way to uh, Melbourne. So the surf, urban surf again, like a first man made surf park in Australia. I was like, it sounded a bit theme parky at first, but we met the guys, and they seemed again they seemed really legit. It was like you know it was all about community and you know conservation and water safety and all the sort of beautiful stuff and you know these parks are going to happen it's like well, it'd be, just be good for the first one to fall on the right hands and you know serve decent food and um so yeah we sort of did that and that's you know that's apart from, apart from the thousand lockdowns we've we've had it has been you know successful which it has been fun so yeah i think i think really they've all you know we have we have chats and we all f- fight these things out and it was we've never really had to vote on anything it was like always common sense has prevailed you know you kind of you create the yeah you sort of create these meetings and it's almost like a fight club at once upon a time like we were just really you know it's come so heated but you develop this confidence in your friendship that you can basically say anything with those with, with within the parameters of a meeting you have to have it out and then once you're out of the meeting it's like life goes on you're back at work and like do you know what I mean? And we still now, you know, you just, but you, you, you develop a bit more of an awareness and a respect. You know where the line is. You know what buttons not to push. And so now those meetings are a lot more civilized. <laughs> but we're, you know, pretty lucky, pretty lucky. But, uh, um, but yeah, and that's, and that's just what happens. And that's what continues to happen now. And now it's just like, it's still, we still want to grow and evolve and still, I don't think anyone, any of us want to stop doing it. I feel, I think we just still want to be, you know, re- just stay relevant in the industry. And now, I mean, to be honest, with you, I'll, I'll probably start. I think we'll all start stepping back and mentoring and setting those parameters for our staff and managers for them to sort of step up and giving them the, the, the you know, the skills and the tools to, to to run these places. And and of course, I always want to be involved. But I think, you know, um, I sort of do other stuff now. I sort of, you know. I, doing the working for um taste in australia and obviously like right for delicious all these other you know really cool things that obviously andy's got his master chef gig and marky does his hunting so we've all got these other um kind of side hustles but but they they also complement the ducks you know they they they, they, they they give you perspective and i think that's great and you, and you can also bring something else like a freshness to the table you mentioned the dna of the ducks that runs a thread through all of your your venues what do you think it is that's the secret to the success of the three blue ducks? Um, I think what I, I think us being, I think money not being a priority really helps. I think when and it really never was and 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 you know obviously there's needs and wants when you get kids and you got to buy nappies and clothes and stuff <laughs> as you probably know, but it was never it's it's still never a priority. It really isn't, and it, and I think that, and it, it's just literally having um, like-minded people with regards to, and we'll have to surf, whatever. But just being, just being passionate and invested in this idea, and then that in turn attracts similar people. So it's, uh, that better, that make you better, they're, and they're younger, faster, more passionate, you know, smarter, and uh, and that's what's happened. So now it's gone from you know three guys to now is you know three. I mean, when we all when we open the restaurants, it'll be about three hundred and fifty staff. And just you know, and we have these staff parties, and it's amazing. You look around, you're like, "Holy shit! Look at look, look at this!" And some some of them, like we've got Sam Mordo, head chef at um, Byron. He's been with us from the day we opened, and he's he's still there now. And he's been through umpteen lockdowns. You know, there's a lot of moving parts to Byron. 
It's not let's sitting around in hammocks in, you know, it's, it's a busy place. Um, and we've, we've got many, many staff that have just stayed with us, um, which, which, which is brilliant. And that's, and that's definitely become, I want to, I want that to be a focus as, as well, just to make it not a badge of honor, but this, this sense of community and belonging that, that I feel that's, that's kept me enthusiastic about the whole thing. Um, I want the, I want the staff to feel that as well. So, so, you know, even yesterday was coming out, I mean, like, how can we, there is a crisis, there's a staff crisis, you know, in, I think globally, but, but definitely in Australia, there's a shortage. So it's like, how can we improve? How can we make it even better for the staff? You know, is it, is it offering like shares or start like a, a sort of like a, a, a magazine to keep everyone up to date? Or is it like, you know, we have to do farm visits. We have like kind of days out with all this sort of like stuff we do, you know, just discounts and what have you. But I think just improving, uh, and, and, and investing in our staff and supporting them, I think. I think. I think that it really is important. And I think so, often you know, teach them about the business, the business of the business. I think, which is something it's, it's really overlooked in our industry. Like you know, you, you learn how to cook, but no one teaches you about saving money or you know, or investing, or how you know how a lease works or payroll, any any of that stuff. So I think it would be great to mentor and guide staff, certainly management, about that sort of stuff and encourage them, encourage them to go on and start their own places. You know, I just, that, that should be encouraged. I was always fairly discouraged and there was a bit of fear around it, which is, we you know, which is a shame because it's, it is definitely a tough industry, but it's not impossible. And like there's, you know, it's, I, I think whether it's like just a little sandwich bar or whatever, like you, you can still give it a crack. How have you changed over the lifespan of the Ducks? Um, I've definitely mellowed. <laughs> I was a bit fiery back in the day. Um, but I think I've, um, I think a bit just, I'm, uh, I'm definitely healthier and I've just slowed down and I try and step back and look at the big picture. And I think as a chef, like kitchens are so, they're immediate and you've got this, almost like this tunnel version to get through the day, to get through a service and a, a list of prep and conduct a service. But often all you see is like, you know, you see what's in front of you, you see the docket rail, the chopping board, and, it, you know, and it's, it's kind of hard to step back and, you know, ensure that sort of perspective. And, and, and then, and given many like multiple venues, that's so important, you know, to step back and breathe and, 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 some, and often to be honest, be the eye of the storm. You know, certainly now when there's so much uncertainty, it's so important for you with, you know, certainly with the staff around, you know, some of them are sort of looking up to you for, for answers that you may or may not have. So, and I just think, I think given you develop the confidence to play with an idea and not just to act on the first solution that comes into your head, you know, just like just sleep on an idea or just, all right, let's just, let's kind of see how this plays out. And, and, and I think that's been, that's, that's served me really well. Um, and I think just, yeah, tr like trust in your gut. You, you, you definitely develop like a bit. That's, that's an amazing ninja skill, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, and just, and just reading people. Yeah. I think, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I try and look, look after myself, you know, we, we, we all eat clean, you know, I sort of, I train exercise, you know, I, I, I still love cooking, you know, and I know, I know a lot of people get burnt out because it, it's quite grueling. But I love it, and I, I, all, I always want to be involved in, in food um, in some capacity, whether it's, you know, festivals, writing, restaurants, whatever. I, I still – I never want to retire. 
And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. You know, I just, and even during lockdown, I was, I was probably cooking more than ever, you know, and that's, that is a sad reality when you're, you know, you're overseeing huge venues. Often, you I, mean, I can't remember the last time I really held a knife at work. <laughs> I, mean, I just had the phone glued to my ear just trying to make stuff happen, which is, it is what it is. But, um, you know, the restaurant's closed. First thing you do, you off to the veggie market, so you're cooking stuff, you're trying new ideas. And you're like, oh, this will work really well. So, um, yeah. How do you see the next few years for hospitality in Australia? I think there's, gonna, there's obviously going to be huge change. Um, a lot, I'm, I'm ever the optimist, you know. Um, I, I definitely think there's, there's probably going to be a realisation that proper food, it's probably underpriced at the moment. I think what people are, are charging and trying to charge. Um, I think, you know, sadly, there's going to be a lot more aut- automation. You know, you probably, see, you know, you're seeing it now. You go to a restaurant, there's there's less human to human, or certainly cafes, less human to human contact. You know, it's it's scanner, buzzer, you know, the phone. You, your food comes to you. Um, but I think I, I, I really hope that that stays for those sort of mid-level places. And it, it, there's always the old school service that you get, say Sean's Panorama. And, you know, there's just like face to face. They're really enough the specials, you know, there's like, I, 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 I'm, I'm just kind of old fashioned. Um, I, I think, I think, but food's, in, food's going to improve. I, I really do. I, I, I think the stuff, the stuff that we we're interested in back in the day was probably it's probably fringe. You know, there was like grow it local. There was, you know, the single use plastic. You know, we, I remember we, we'd get flack from, you know, not, not everyone. We, we got a lot of support, but there was a bit of pushback when we decided just to even like abolish plastic straws and, you know, like, oh, they're soggy, they're this. And it's like, and now it's just, it's just, you know, it's just, an, it's just everyone does it. And, you know, keep cups. It's just the done, you know, there's all these little things. And then, you know, composting and recycling and bits and pieces. I, I, I definitely think that that's, you know, with, with, you know, climate change and all that sort of stuff, that's definitely an interest that we, that we have. Um, and I think also because of that, how food's grown, how it's sourced, where it's from, there's, there's still a growing interest I've seen for, from the, from the customer, which is, which is great, which will then, it will allow us to charge what we charge <clears throat> and, and, and perhaps more, you know, um, and we won't have to do, we won't have to like, you know, put lipstick on food, just all these like silly things. Like, you know, there's the infatuation for de- deconstructing and smears <laughs> and all this sort of, and I think now like more than ever, like people want, like, they want the classic, they just want, you know, a beautifully shucked oyster with a bit of citrus or even by itself, it's just amazing, you know? And like, do, do, do you know what I mean? And like, like a, ro- a, a, a decent roast chook, like a pasture raised chook or, a, you know, grass fed steak with like just some, some greens or some mustard, whatever. Like, I, I think, We'll probably see more of that. And I think more more people just specializing in one thing, whether it is a particular region. Whereas back in the day, you'd go and you'd get those yellow pages of menus and they'd go, pizza, pasta, burger, Thai, curry, rosy. <laughs> um, fortunately, we're seeing less of that. And, and people actually being really specific about what they cook, whatever it is, you know, just we do three bowls of ramen or, you know, what Lindsay does with the, you know, his kebab. He's got like, you know, two or three choices, but it's the most amazing kebab you're going to have. You know, I think they'll just and just hone in on a particular cuisine or a region or a town or whatever it is and go like, this is what we do and it's unapologetic and it is fucking amazing. But we're not, it's not everything for everyone anymore. And I think we need more of that, you know. Um, but we'll see, mate. I don't know. I know the Ducks has got a lot of expanding and a lot more to it, 
but you're going to let go of the original very soon. For a young gun who might be looking at taking over the Duck's original site, what advice would you have for them? Um, Christ. I, I, like, I'm, I'm a big fan of collaboration, and I know it's a bit frowned upon, and it's almost a bit cliche now, but I have... I think in HOSPO, it's really important. And I, you know, I see owner-operated places, and it's great. You know, when, you, when, it's, when it's going well, it's going well, and you get an accolade, and it's your name, and it's, it's amazing. But there, it's inevitable you're going to get some rough patches, whatever that may be. It could be completely unforeseen. And it's just nice to share. It's nice to share the shit with, with your mates that are in exactly the same boat, that are f- as financially uh, and energetically invested as you are. And for me, that served me so well, you know, and, and, and sure, you don't make as much money and whatever. And, but I, I just think, and I think in this day and age, and it, uh, probably the only mistake, probably the best and the worst thing we could have done is actually have business partners that share this very similar skill set to us. You know, for I've said it before, we're almost like this uninvestable group. We've got three chefs, there's six of us and three of us are chefs. We do the same thing. <laughs> I mean, we've all got different styles. So, you know, ideally you'd want someone that say, you know, is pretty good with, you know, accounts or that is great for front of house. I think the whole, you know, the Brent Savage got it really right. You know, those guys are amazing. Nick Heidelbrand and Brent Savage, there's this dynamic duo. Do you know what I mean? They really complement each other. And I, I think that's great. It's like sort of safety in numbers. Probably not too many. I think we've been really fortunate with six. But two or three of you in, in, in those, you know, tight little group, owner-operated, have a, have a great idea. And it's like if you do something good, they come. They, 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 they sort of always have, you know. And you just look at, I don't know, when you look at, say, Luke Powell in Chippendale all the time, it's just like it's really nothing area. You know, he opens port LP meets and, you know, I just bought his blood sausage up in Byron now, you know, years later. Do you know what I mean? That's the stuff. It's just the stuff you crave. You know, it's like it's just it's just good food, um, and that's the beauty of it. You look at you know from the what from the the, the ultimate stream is Elby in in Roses, where you've literally just got to drive down this bloody cliff, the arse end of nowhere. You know what I mean? The guy just he had this dream, this passion, followed it through, and went you know best restaurant in the world. I'm not saying open the bully in the McPherson Street, but Fran, if you are listening, mate, you need the location. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daz, uh, you're always uh, entertaining and amazing to talk to, and I know there's so much more to the Three Blue Ducks story. Good luck with everything, and good luck enjoying letting go of Bronte. Um, please keep in touch, and we'll talk again soon. Really appreciate, it, mate. See you, brother. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.